Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. I was looking at Acts chapter 9 there in my Bible. I need to turn over a page. I had the privilege this week to travel up to Fort Worth, and I had a great chauffeur. Brother Brad Griffin drove me and got to preach a couple of times up there and speak to one, a church of a pastor friend of mine, and also to a group of pastors up there that are really excited about planting churches. And I'm excited about people that are excited about planting churches. And even while we were there, this was really exciting. Uh, our church had the opportunity to give. We joined in on the giving. And I uh, just want to let you know where some of our giving goes. But there was a church planner. He's going to Dearborn, Michigan. And this is the Muslim capital of the United States. It really is. It's the most uh, densely populated Muslim area in the country. More mosques there than any other place in the country. And not one single Baptist church in the entire town of 100,000 people. And so uh, you think, that shouldn't happen in America. Well, there used to be um, churches there, but there are not anymore. And so uh, this is uh, a great need. There are great needs all over the country, but this guy, Brother Josh, going there to plant a church, and I can't even pronounce his last name. It's a, kind of a longer last name. I have it on a card. But anyway, um, our church joined in and gave a couple of thousand dollars towards his work up there. And just in a few minutes, they raised $8,500 and about $1,500 a month in support for he and his family. That was a blessing to be a part of, and not just because of money, but people committing to go and to help and to serve. And, and I just, I want to be working together with people that are excited about the work of the Lord. And so thank you for your faithfulness in coming and giving and supporting. We had a couple of our guys down making some visits with uh, David Cripps this week, and I got a great report from him yesterday. He got to lead two men to the Lord yesterday. These are men they've been following up with for a while. Brother Chase told me he got to lead somebody to the Lord on Thursday, this, or it's Friday this week, a man by the name of Joseph. So that was a blessing this week. And so we're thankful for people coming to Christ and growing in the Lord. And you know, here in Acts chapter 11, where we'll read in just a moment, we really see the church as it continues to grow and transition and develop here in this book. And sometimes when you come to these, I'll call it a transitional passage in a narrative where the story seems to be kind of moving from one point to the next, it's kind of the verses you want to just skim through quickly and get on to the next big event that took place. But here in these verses in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, while there clearly is some transition that's going on in the development of the New Testament church, we also can learn some tremendous principles about what God wants to do in and through us as He continues our work in, or His work in us. Many times we view life as kind of living for the moment, right? I'm here in this good moment and I, I just wish I could skip over everything else until the next big moment. As a child, it's like, I had my birthday, now I can't wait till Christmas. You know, it's like, I, I live for my birthday and Christmas and growing up, having a birthday in June as I do, I thought I had it worked out pretty well. I had six months in between and it was kind of spaced out pretty well and so I could live for those high moments. I felt really bad for my friend Derek whose birthday was on Christmas Day because he just, you know, it just, he just never really got as much um, to do over his birthday because it was either birthday or Christmas and 
you know, people say, well, here's your birthday present. Well, where's my Christmas present? Well, it's all, all one and the same, you know. Just sometimes in life, we like to live for the big moments. You know, when you see in reality the way life actually works and the way the Bible teaches it, life is not about just living for the big moments and the big events. In fact, for a Christian, our worth, our work for the Lord really is more dependent not on the big moments but on the faithfulness each and every day. Living for the Lord consistently even when it's not glamorous. Even when there's not a party or a celebration. Here in Acts chapter 11, there's a phrase that is used to describe these believers in Antioch. There's a couple different ones, but one where we get our title for the message this morning. He says that the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. What does it mean to have the hand of the Lord with you? And once we think about that a little bit about what it means, I want to ask this question this morning. How can we live a life as individuals and as a church where we experience the hand of the Lord with us? Is that really possible? Or is that just something that happened back in Acts and we don't get to experience this again today? I believe it is possible to know and experience the hand of the Lord with us. God's helping hand, God's hand that lifts us up when we fall, God's hand that guides and directs us, God's hand that, that parts the Red Sea in front of us, God's hand that helps us and lifts us out of the miry clay, God's hand that pushes us forward for His glory. I believe it's possible to experience that hand of the Lord upon us. So this morning as we look together at these verses, I hope there'll be a help and a challenge to you. There's a lot of different moving pieces here. So you're going to have to really put your thinking cap on this morning and stay with me as I try to help you understand what's taking place in this passage. But I believe it'll be a help to you. It's already been an encouragement to my heart, and I hope it'll be a help to you. Let's read together Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. The Bible says, Now they, which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Here's where we get our title from. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, if you mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that phrase. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Because you're going to see this idea of people coming and following the Lord three different times in this, in this short section of verses. Verse 22, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad 
and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Notice, here's our phrase again. And much people was added unto the Lord. Verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 25, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Here it is again. And taught much people. It's a large group of people here coming to the Lord to learn of Him. They taught much people. And then notice this last sentence at the end of verse 26. This is really unique. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The word Christian is a word that's used quite a lot these days and, and has a variety of definitions depending on who you ask. But I think it's a very interesting thing to note, and I'll get to more of that later, that it was in Antioch where the disciples were first called Christians. Now, I believe, and I think you'll see as we work through this together this morning, that the reason they were first called Christians in Antioch is because it was evident that the hand of the Lord was with them. Today, what goes for a Christian can really be all kinds of things. In fact, there's some that would rather distance themselves from the term because there's so much confusion surrounding the word Christian of what it means, what it doesn't mean, what, what they believe, what they don't believe, what they do, what they don't do. But in Antioch, it was, it was, uh, it was first used there. They knew what they were talking about, and I believe you'll see why they were called Christians. It's because the hand of the Lord was upon them. As we read back in verse 19, we, we see reference again to the scattering that took place after the persecution that arose around Stephen. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 7 as Stephen preached that great message and, and then they stood up against him and Saul was consenting unto his death and they stoned Stephen to death? His only crime? Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. From that point, at the beginning of chapter 8, the Bible tells us that the believers in Jerusalem, there in the church, they were scattered out. They were scattered as they went fleeing the persecution. We'd be doing the same thing, wouldn't we? If people were coming into our homes and grabbing us and trying to throw us in prison or to put us to death. That's what was taking place for the church in Jerusalem, and it caused a great scattering of the church. We learned during that scattering, some of them went to Samaria. Remember Philip? So he preached the gospel there and his people were coming to Christ and then the Lord took him from there and put him on that road where he met the Ethiopian eunuch. He led that man to the Lord and then God took him away and he ministered through multiple cities, ultimately ending up in Caesarea. Just over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how Peter ministered around in these towns in, in Judea as the gospel continued to go out. And then God called Peter through a vision and he sent him, you remember, to Caesarea. He was in Joppa, but he sent him to Caesarea to go minister to Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion. Peter wasn't really excited about that at first. 
God had to show him in the vision. It was okay. He said, that which God has called clean, call thou not unclean, right? Don't call it common. So Peter goes and he preaches and, and Cornelius gets saved and all of his family gets saved as well. And then Peter came back to the church at Jerusalem and they weren't really sure about what Peter had done. He said, Peter, you went and you ate with Gentiles. What did you do? And Peter had to explain to them, and we saw last week how the conflict was resolved as Christ was the focus, right? And then that brings us back here in towards the end of chapter 11 as Luke reminds us the believers were still scattered. It was because of the persecution. If you're taking notes, maybe you got some on your way in. This is number one. God uses the terrible pain of persecution to further His plan. It's as if the Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to write these words wants to remind us that the reason the believers had gone where they were was because of persecution. Without the persecution, without the pain, without the difficulty, they would have preferred to stay in Jerusalem. It's more comfortable there. It's where their friends were. It's where their family was. It's where the other believers were predominantly located. It's where the, the, the apostles were who wouldn't want to stay in Jerusalem. God allowed the pain of persecution to scatter His church. Listen, when we go through pain, when we go through difficulty, when we suffer in our life, it is hard to trust God, isn't it? Unless God just makes it really clear for us right up front, here's why you're suffering. Oh, okay. But often when we're suffering, often when we go through pain, when we go through persecution, we have no idea whatsoever what God is doing. And it's interesting to note here in Acts chapter 11, he's referring back to this scattering, this persecution. If you go back and follow the chronology of what's taken place in Acts up to now, from Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 11, there's a bunch of years that have taken place here. Remember, there were three years when Saul was on the backside of the desert in Arabia with, with the Lord. There's there's time spent while Saul was persecuting the church before he even got saved. There was time after that where Saul had gone back to Tarsus after being in Jerusalem. And, and some scholars believe he was there for six or maybe even eight years serving the Lord in Tarsus after he came to Christ, after the three years in the desert and then going back to Damascus after coming to Jerusalem. So there's at least probably a good 10 or 12 years that have taken place since the scattering uh, from the persecution that arose because of Stephen. Now imagine that. God allows something really painful in your life, and here it is 12 years later. You're now living in a totally different city, in a different house. You had to get a different job. You've had to build new relationships. You had to figure out where to go. I mean, it's painful just to move from house to house and you're in the same city, right? Antioch was over 300 miles away from Jerusalem. And this is not jumping in your air-conditioned car and driving 300 miles away. This isn't hopping on an airplane and flying 300 miles away. This is walking 300 miles away. I want you to understand this morning that these people had been through intense pain. And because of that persecution, they'd been put in a new place 
where they'd now lived for years and years. Things were not going back to how it used to be. There was not going to be normal ever again. And yet, even through that persecution, notice what they did. It said they preached the word. Right there, preaching the word. They say, well, it says, but not, they were only preaching to the Jews. That's true. Because they hadn't caught up with where Peter was, but don't worry, they're, they're going to get there. But I think it's fascinating to note that even in spite of their persecution, they continued to preach the word. See, the reason for persecution was Stephen's bold proclamation of the gospel, but the result of the persecution was that the gospel continued to go forth. Remember, Jesus had promised that they would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Well, we've already read how it got started in Jerusalem. We saw how it was spread to, through Judea and then even some persecution took it to Samaria. But God isn't done yet. I'm so thankful he's not because he came to me, right? He, he came and he made sure I could hear the gospel. He made sure you could hear the gospel. If it had stopped in Jerusalem, where would you and I be? If it had stopped in Samaria, we wouldn't be here. It's because God continued to do his work to make sure the gospel went to the ends of the earth that you and I are here today. God uses the terrible pain of persecution to fulfill and to further His plan. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My friend, there's a lot of things we could get busy talking about. We could commiserate about our frustration with the world around us. We could talk about the pain that we've been through. Or we could talk about Jesus Christ who has the power to forgive men, women, boys, and girls of their sin and to give them eternal life. When you go through difficulty, when you go through pain, do you understand God has it for a purpose? He does. You may not even know what that purpose is right away. When we go through hard times, we want to ask God, why? Why, God? Why? It's easy, it's natural to want to understand what God is doing, especially when things are hard. It's hard to see the purpose of God in the moment of pain. God's plans can and will be fulfilled even through your pain. When facing painful situations, what should our response be? Yes, even persecution. We must continue to be faithful to obey God's commands that He's given to us. They continued to preach the Word. They continued to share the Gospel. When you don't understand, don't quit. If you must understand before you obey, you are not walking by faith. 
He says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you have to understand everything before you're willing to step out in obedience to the Lord, you are not walking by faith. And the Bible is very clear that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't seek to understand and to know God. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God. We can grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding the more we study His Word. But if you have to wait until you fully grasp every ramification of every situation before you'll do anything for the Lord, you're not walking by faith. You're in disobedience. We love to see the great things that great people have done. Great business leaders, great scientists, great engineers, great athletes, great people who have accomplished what this world says are great things, but we often don't see them in the wee hours of the morning when they're studying, when they're exercising, when they're preparing, when they're studying, when they're getting ready for the next thing. We don't see all the failures along the way. Maybe you've heard the story of Abraham Lincoln. You know, he failed at most everything until he was elected president. He lost more elections. He started businesses that were shut down. From all outward appearances, he was a great failure for most of his life. But you're not a failure. Even if you go through difficulty, if you'll continue to go forward by faith in obedience to God, even in the face of persecution and pain. The world may call you a failure. You may feel like a failure. But God doesn't measure things the way that this world does. The Lord says it this way, Moreover, it is required among stewards that a man be found, not successful, it says faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithfulness is hard, especially during times of pain and persecution. I believe, though, we can see here that the hand of the Lord was with them, first of all, because they obeyed God's command to go and make disciples even in the face of great persecution. God's hand was with them because they were walking with the Lord. They were walking in obedience to His command. Some people say, well, I want to do whatever I want to do, and God should bless me. No. God blesses those who are walking with Him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. The hand of the Lord was with them because they obeyed God's commands. Number two, we're going to look at the next few verses here, but I want you to notice this as I read. God uses the power of the Holy Spirit working through His people to encourage believers to fulfill their purpose. A lot of P's there. The power of the Holy Spirit working through His people to encourage believers to fulfill their purpose. How do we see that? Well, look at verse 22. It says, Then tidings of these things. See, they were faithful to obey the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed, turned to the Lord. And then the news made it back to Jerusalem. This was all going on in Antioch. They're preaching the Lord Jesus. They're sharing the gospel. People are coming to Christ. And the news made it back to Jerusalem. So what did they do in Jerusalem? It says, They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. 
who, when he came and seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So, good news is traveling back to Jerusalem. People are getting saved in Antioch. And if you go back and study those verses, you'll see it wasn't just Jews that were coming to Christ. That's what happened at first. But then some of these other people from Cyrene and from Cyprus, they began to share the gospel even with the Gentiles. And, and Antioch really was the first church where Jews and Gentiles were coming together to worship Jesus. It wasn't about being a Jew. It wasn't about being a Gentile anymore. It was about being a follower of Christ. If you're paying attention, I'm getting to where why they were called Christians, right? So news of this travels back to Jerusalem. This is something unique that's taking place. Because in Jerusalem, it was almost all Jews. They were still struggling with the fact if you could even eat with a Gentile. And in Antioch, you got Jews and Gentiles being saved and worshiping the Lord together. People were hearing about that. And, they, and those guys in Jerusalem, they said, we better go send, we better send Barnabas to go check on that. We, we want to see what's going on over there. So I want you to notice about this encourager Barnabas. The first thing I want you to see is his character. We keep coming into contact with Barnabas as we study through the book of Acts. He's a really incredible character that the Lord has and continues to use in the building of the church and encouraging especially of believers. We first read about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 where he was known as the son of consolation where he sold a piece of property and he gave all the money to help the people in the church. Then later we read about Barnabas as he is the one who goes and brings Saul into the church at Jerusalem. He was willing to go talk to a man that everybody else was afraid of. He was willing to listen and to hear his testimony. He was willing to encourage Saul and then to introduce him to the other apostles and to bring him into the church. And now it's Barnabas that the church chooses to send to go check on that crazy new church down in Antioch where Jews and Gentiles were all worshiping Jesus Christ together. And so he gets there, and verse 24 describes his character to us with three phrases. Number one, it says, he was a good man. He was a good man. He demonstrated his goodness in the way he gave, in the way he helped others, the way he encouraged. Barnabas was a good man. But you know, being a good man is not enough if you're going to be a faithful servant of the Lord. A lot of people walking around trusting in their own goodness to give themselves enough strength to be able to do what God wants them to do. Most people, I'm not, not saying this in any way to try to brag, but a lot of people say, well, you're a pastor talking to me. You're a good man. You are married to the same woman for 16 years. You're a good man. You have five children. You're a good man. People might look at you and say, well, you pay your bills. You're a good person. Well, you don't do bad things. You're a good man. You're a good woman. But my friend, being good is not enough to give you strength to continue to serve God faithfully. Like there's a lot of good people that aren't doing anything for the Lord. And the reason is found in the next two descriptors of Barnabas. 
Not only was he a good man, he was full of the Holy Ghost. Your goodness is not enough. Your strength is not enough. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit's power to be able to be an encourager, to be a helper, to be a servant of the Lord. Because even the best person has bad days. Even the best person on their best day is still not enough to be able to do what needs to be done in the work of the Lord. He was a good man, yes, but he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was sensitive to the Spirit's leading. You see that over and over in Barnabas' life. He was willing to serve people that other people didn't want to serve. He was willing to minister in places where other people would have felt uncomfortable ministering. He was a man who was full of the Holy Ghost. And it also says he was full of faith. Full of faith. You say, well, what took faith here on the part of Barnabas? Well, think about it. Been eight or ten years, maybe a little longer, since these Jews have left Jerusalem, gone to Antioch. Barnabas has been in and around Jerusalem for this time. Maybe he still knew or had met a few of those people. Maybe he didn't know any of them personally, those believers that had gone to Antioch. And now he sent 300 miles away to go and to check on a church where he may or may not know anybody. He's traveling up to a pagan city. Antioch of Syria was, some, was the third largest city in the world at that time, had over 200,000 people living in, it, in this ancient city was known for its pagan idolatry and all the awful things that went along with that. And there's Barnabas. He's a man full of faith. He's willing to go to a place to serve, that he doesn't know, to serve people that he doesn't know. And you'll find out later, he spends over a year serving these people there. Imagine. Somebody came up to you and said, okay, brother, sister, I, I've got some people over here. I need you to go encourage them. You need to leave your job behind. You need to leave your family behind. I just need you to pack up and go, and you're going to spend some time over there serving those people. Would you do that? Oh, I'm not in a position to do that. I, I couldn't do that. I don't. How did Barnabas do it? He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost, and he was full of faith. The character of the encourager. My friend, we can't do what needs to be done in our own strength. Because the people that need to be reached for us, they're unreachable. The people that need to be encouraged, they're so far gone, I don't know how to help them get back. The people's problems in our world today are so big and so bad, we might as well just sit at home by ourselves and sing Amazing Grace. I'm so glad that God saved me, but I don't know how He could save any of those people. But see, Barnabas was a man who was full of faith. He was a man full of the Spirit of God. He was willing to go to a place to encourage a people and to see the work of God done. If we're going to be a church that ministers, a church that grows, a church that experiences the hand of God, if we're going to be people that experience God's hand on us, we must be willing to walk in the Spirit and we must be willing to walk by faith. 
We see the character of the encourager. We see the content of his encouragement. What did he encourage them with? Well, go back to our text. See, when he saw what was taking place, it says here, he saw the grace of God. That meant he could see the evidence of God at work in their lives. He saw people who used to be idolaters who now were followers of Jesus. He saw sinners who were becoming saints. He saw people who old things were passing away and all things were becoming new in Jesus Christ. He saw the grace of God at work in their lives. And it says He exhorted them. He encouraged them. He challenged them. And we see two things. He, he challenged them that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So He challenged them to live a life of purpose that with their heart, with their innermost being, they would focus upon what God wanted them to live for. There are a lot of things you can live for in this life. There's a lot of things that can pull your focus, pull your time, pull your energy, pull your money. God wants us to live a life of purpose. He says with purpose of heart, and then he tells us what that purpose is, to cleave to hold on to, to continue with, to live a life of dependence upon the Lord. Cleave unto the Lord. Hey, church in Antioch, I know it's exciting. Gentiles are coming to Christ. Jews are coming to Christ. Now you're understanding a little bit of why you went through this persecution. Now you're understanding a little why you got sent out here. But hey, church at Antioch, don't get content with where you're at. Hey, church at Antioch, you can't live in your own strength and your own goodness. Hey, church at Antioch, you need to live a life of purpose, cleaving, hanging on to the Lord. My friends, we can't continue forward with the Lord and see God's hand upon us if we're not willing to walk a life of dependence upon Him. One of the challenges of growing in your faith is that we naturally tend to start relying on ourselves. When you came to Christ in salvation, Lord, I'm nothing, I need you. But hey, you've been saved for a while now. Yeah, you know how to do the church thing. You know, you know what to say, what not to say. You know when to say amen. You haven't even said it at the wrong time lately. You always love that person who's trying to learn how to get excited, you know. And they say interesting things at interesting times, right? And they're working through all that. But you're past all that. You, you've walked with the Lord for a while now. You're, things at home may not be great, but you can put on the happy face when you come to church. You can put on the, the, the Christian mask of hypocrisy, right? That, oh, I, I've got it all together. We have to be careful we don't fall into that trap. I think Barnabas was encouraging this church, cleave to the Lord with your whole heart, your whole focus, with your whole life. Walk with Him. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't get to a place where you say, well, you know, serving God, going to church, sharing the gospel, I'll do it when I have time, but I've got a lot of other things that are important for me to do. No, he says, with your purpose of your heart, with your whole focus. The character of the encourager, the content of the encouragement. 
And then we see the consequence then of that encouragement. It says very simply, the end of verse 24, and much people was added unto the Lord. See, the hand of the Lord was with them first because they were obedient to God's command upon their life, even in the face of great persecution. We see here the hand of the Lord was with them because they were encouraged to grow in their faith and to continue to find their strength in the Lord. Often people, when they come to Christ, get really excited to share the gospel with everybody around them. But now you've been saved for a while. You get to a point and say, well, I don't, I don't know where, where I'm going to go from here. I don't know who I'm going to tell. You know, I just, I'm busy doing the church thing, the Christian thing. I, I don't have time to do any of that other stuff. They were continued, or challenged to continue to trust in and walk in complete dependence upon the Lord. Don't get comfortable in your Christianity. God just might push you out of the nest. And it's not always an enjoyable process getting pushed out of the nest. It can be quite painful, in fact. But God, yes, can use persecution to continue to propel His plan forward. God uses the power of the Holy Spirit working through people like Barnabas to encourage believers to fulfill their purpose. And number three, finally, God uses faithful people to prepare His church for faithful service to the Lord. We get to meet Saul once again. It's really interesting to me here because Barnabas has gone to the church in Antioch. He's traveled 300 miles. He's encouraging them. He's challenging them. He's exhorting them. People are getting saved. And what does Barnabas do? He packs up and leaves. But he had a purpose. Where does he go? Look at the next verse. Verse number 25. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Why do you leave in the middle of a revival, in the middle of a, a great uh, harvest of souls to go get Saul? I mean, don't you remember Saul? He's that guy with the past. He's, the, he's that former Pharisee. Yes, he got saved. But why do you go get Saul? But do you remember back in Acts chapter 9 when Barnabas was bringing Saul into the church at Jerusalem that Barnabas learned all about Saul and he learned about his testimony, he learned about what God had done in his life and then Barnabas relays that story, he relates the story to the apostles and that's what brings Saul into the church. Well, if you go back just a little bit further and you're thinking, I would challenge you to go read this this afternoon, it's fascinating how this story all comes together. But just a little bit before that, right after Saul gets saved, God sends a man by the name of Ananias to go and encourage Saul. And do you remember what God told Ananias about his plans for Saul? Do you remember? What is it? Some of you are whispering it. What is it? Well, he's going to suffer. What's that? Who's he going to be a minister to, though? He told Ananias, God told Ananias that Saul would be a minister to the Gentiles. Now, I just really think, you say, well, it's not the Bible. I'm pretty sure this is here because Barnabas then is really close with Saul. Saul's sharing with Barnabas what God's doing in his life. I think Barnabas knew that Saul was to be a minister to the Gentiles. 
So here's Barnabas. He's gone up, sent from Jerusalem to go and encourage this new church that's growing in Antioch where Gentiles and Jews are coming to Christ. He encourages them, and then he says, I know who I need to get. I know who will help in this process. I need to go get that one that God has called out to be a minister to the Gentiles. And so he leaves them behind, and he goes to Tarsus to go get Saul. Aren't you thankful that God uses all kinds of different people to accomplish his work? The church at Jerusalem wasn't going to send Saul. They still probably weren't 100% sure about him. But Barnabas knew him. Barnabas, we already saw, was full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of faith. He was willing to be led by the Spirit. He was willing to follow God's direction in his life. And he specifically goes and he gets Saul out of Tarsus. I love how God does his work to use all kinds of people to fulfill his plan. You might look at your life and say, well, I have a past. Well, praise God, through Jesus Christ, you have a future. Well, I don't know how I would minister. God has a plan and a person for you to minister to. He has somebody for you to reach with the gospel. He has somebody for you to come alongside and encourage. God has somebody for you to help. God has somebody that He wants you to lead to the Lord. And God has somebody that He wants to help you as you help them to place them in service to follow God's plan for their life. You say, you, you think God does that with, I think He does with His whole body. The church is a body, right? And each part has a different role to play in the work of God. So He goes to Tarsus to get Saul, for to seek Saul. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. I just love the way these people are following the Lord's leading. I mean, Barnabas shows up. It's years since Saul's seen him. Hey, Saul, come with me. We got to go over to Antioch. Okay, let's go. These guys are fired up about the work of the Lord, aren't they? Let me clear my schedule. Let me figure. No, let's go. If God's in this, let's go. He comes to Antioch and it says, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves together with the church. Can you imagine dropping your everything for a whole year and then going over to encourage the believers in Antioch? That's what Paul and Barnabas did, Saul and Barnabas did. And it says, and they taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. See, ministry is not about my glory, it's about God's glory. Barnabas wasn't concerned that, okay, I'm sent to Antioch, this is my place, no one else can help me here. Oh, no, God's called, yeah, Saul, he's the minister to the Gentile. Let's go get him. All right, come over here, Saul. Okay, Saul and Barnabas now are teaching the church. You don't see Barnabas saying, well, Saul, I've been saved longer than you. No, he says, no, God's called Saul. Let's get him in here too. And they're both teaching and encouraging the believers in Antioch. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Ministry is not about my glory. It's about God's. And secondly, ministry is about... God's people growing to be like Jesus Christ. They spent a whole year teaching, studying the Word, discipling, encouraging. 
I can only imagine some of the conversations that must have come up. These pagans been saved. Oh, they, I'm sure they had some crazy questions. But you know, Saul, he was a student of the Old Testament, having been a Pharisee. I'm sure he was going back through and saying, let me show you. This isn't just Jewish tradition. Let me show you what God was doing. Let me teach you about the power of God. Let me teach you about the plan of God. Let me teach you about the knowledge and omniscience of God. Let me teach you about the holiness of God that we see here. You see, God was working with His people, the nation of Israel, but they rejected Him. But God's plan still went forward. Yeah, you're a Gentile, but God has you as part of His plan now as well. I'm sure those were some great conversations that went on. And because the change was so dynamic in the lives of these Gentile believers and Jewish believers in Antioch, because they were so excited about continuing to share the gospel and continuing to see God change their lives, the people around them looked over and said, there's a bunch of Christians right there. Those are those followers of Jesus. What a great testimony they had. It wasn't the unbelieving Jews that called them Christians. They rejected Christ as their Messiah and they, they wanted nothing to do with Him. It wasn't the other believers that called them Christians. They didn't say, hey, let's come up with a new name for ourselves. They already called themselves saints and brethren and followers of the way. As far as we can tell, it would have been the unbelieving Gentiles around them who saw the change in their life. They didn't know so much about the Jewish way, keeping the law. They just said, those people are following Christ. They're, little, they're like little Christ. They're, they're just Christians. The hand of the Lord was upon them. I wonder if people were to saw were to see your life and how you live. If they were to see where you were and where you are now, if they would say, oh, that's a Christian. I wonder if people were to look at our church, not part of our church, they say, that's a place that the hand of the Lord is ever. The hand of the Lord was with them because they had a faithful testimony in that city for Christ. I believe we can live a life as individuals. We can live together as a church that experiences the hand of the Lord. While we could look at other passages that would speak to this from different perspectives, I think there's three very clear things here about the hand of the Lord being upon them. The first was they were faithful to preach the gospel even in the face of great pain and persecution. God may have allowed you to go through some things. So God, I don't understand why. God, I don't like this. Christ Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Lord, if there be any other way, Right? Let this cup pass from me. 
Don't let yourself, or don't stop living for the Lord just because things have been painful along the way. Because even in the pain, God still is working to perform His plan. It's bigger than you and it's bigger than me, but it's using us for His glory. It's so easy to get discouraged when things get hard. If you want to experience the hand of the Lord in your life, be faithful and obedient to Him even when things get hard. If you want to experience the hand of the Lord on your life, be willing to walk in the Spirit and walk by faith to encourage and minister to others, even where most people wouldn't want to go. If you want to experience the hand of the Lord in your life, Live out a faithful testimony for Jesus Christ. On your street, at your work, with your family. I believe we could be people that have the hand of the Lord upon them. This morning as we close this time of preaching, I would ask you to examine your own heart. You might say, well, I've always called myself a Christian. Would anybody else, though? Well, yeah, they might. No, I mean, is, is your relationship with Christ so transformative in your life? It's changing how you think. It's changing what you do. It's changing what you say. It's changing where you go. People say something's happened. Something's changed. Oh, and every time I'm around them, all they do is talk about Christ. Those Christ followers. Examine your heart this morning and say, Lord, help me. Help me to be the Christian that you want me to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ. The reason these people were so countercultural is because they knew what it meant to have their sins forgiven. They knew what it meant to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them for God's glory. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, I would love to take a Bible and to show you from God's Word how you too can experience that kind of radical life change. If you're a Christian here this morning and you know what I'm talking about, life change, but you've gotten comfortable with where you're at. Maybe God has challenged your heart this morning, convicted you about something that you need to be faithful in, that you need to confess, that you need to be serious once again about that whole heart focus of cleaving to the Lord, walking in dependence upon Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us now during this time of invitation. I pray that we would respond not just hold on to ourselves and go out from here unchanged, but that as we've looked into the mirror of Your Word this morning, help us to be changed into Your image. Help us not to resist the work of the Spirit. It is possible to resist Your Spirit's work in our life. Pray that we would be open and transparent with You. Be willing to change to be the Christian that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.